Amen. I was reading about uh, one of these experiments that scientists did a number of years ago. They took five monkeys and they put them in a cage. And uh, they, they had a bunch of bananas hanging down in the middle of a cage uh, with, with string. And they had a ladder. And, uh, and, and so they put these five monkeys in a cage. And the first monkey saw the bananas, started to climb up the ladder. And the researchers got a hose and spread them all with freezing cold water until the monkey came back down again and joined the other four. Then the second monkey saw the bananas and got tempted and decided to go up and try to get the bananas. And the researcher came in and spread them all with freezing cold water. And the monkey came down and went back to the other four. After that, the researchers put the hose away and never spread anyone again. But the third monkey then went to climb up and get the bananas. And the other four monkeys beat him up and pulled him off. This is true, apparently. Um, it's on the internet, so it must be. Um, the other four monkeys came and beat him up and pulled him back down the ladder. Another one went to go up. The other four monkeys pulled him back down, beat him up. Another, the one, and, and so basically two were soaked and the other three weren't soaked, but they with the expectation of being soaked, beat the other ones up. So what they did then was they took one of the monkeys out who had seen the soaking and replaced, substituted that monkey with one who hadn't been there. And so the new monkey comes in knowing nothing about the whole situation, sees the bananas, gets tempted, decides, I'm going to climb the ladder. And the other four beat him up and pull him off the ladder. And then they take one more monkey out and they put another one in who hadn't been soaked in. So there's two now who haven't been soaked in. He goes to climb up the ladder and the other four, even the other one who had never seen the soaking, got up and beat him up and pulled him down the ladder. And this continued until they'd replaced all five monkeys, none of whom had ever experienced the punishment of the cold water. And yet all five of them pulled down the monkey and beat them up when they went to get the bananas. And sociologists and scientists have looked at this and they've said, what happens is this, that when you become conditioned to fear, when you become conditioned to negative circumstances, when you become conditioned to things not going right, when you become conditioned to, to, to negative repercussions, you shrink back and you stop even trying, even though those negative repercussions aren't there anymore. Not only do you stop trying, but you stop others trying. You don't want others to do it because you associate that with pain for you. And what they were trying to say is this, that in our own lives, we all go through painful things. We all go through difficult circumstances. We also go, all go through trials. We also go through disappointment and pain. But those things can keep us stuck. Those things can keep us timid and they stop us even trying because we remember when it didn't work out. We remember when that thing failed. We remember when that person left us. We remember when those people laughed at us. We remember when we fell flat on our face. We remember when we failed miserably. And even though our circumstances and even though the punishment, if you like, might not be there right now, we still don't even try anymore because in our minds we associate that thing with something negative. But not only do we do that, we do what the monkeys did. We try to stop anyone else doing it as well. When we see anyone else trying to reach higher, we go, don't be trying that, that's never going to work out. I tried that before and look what happened to me. You don't want to be trying something like that. Stay where you are. Play it safe. 
Nothing good ever happens when you do that. Don't get your hopes up. That doesn't work out. Do you ever hear anybody say, just my luck, typical? Sod's law, if it can go wrong, it will go wrong. Nothing good ever happens to me, and it doesn't typically because they keep telling themselves that nothing good ever happens to them. And they become suspicious or even angry when anybody else tries to do anything that they once wanted to do because it's uncomfortable. And they, the scientists basically said that if you were to ask the monkeys, why do you keep beating up the other monkeys? They would simply say, that's how we do things around here. That's how we do things around here. In Isaiah 54 that we began two weeks ago, we find a bunch of people who are disappointed. They have been through a lot. God's people, Israel, called to be a light to the nations, called to be fruitful, called to bring the love of God throughout the earth, called to be a city on a hill, find themselves in a foreign land in Babylon in exile for 70 years. These people who were called to be fruitful are fruitless. These people who were meant to be enlarged and expand are contained. And it actually describes them as a barren woman. That's how God describes them through the prophet. Look at verse 1 with me and we'll just very quickly go over what we looked at. It says, sing barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into songs, shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. God compares his people to a barren woman. They're empty. They're fruitless. They're desolate. They're hopeless. And we said this, that barrenness in our lives are those places that aren't working the way they should. We all have places in our lives where we go, that's just not working the way we thought it would. It's not working how it should. I'm giving it my best. I'm doing my all. And it's just not working out. I'm trying my hardest, but I don't seem to be getting anywhere. I seem to be hitting wall after wall after wall. And we said that God created us as Christians for fruitfulness. The very first command in Scripture is be fruitful and increase. Jesus said, I want you to bear much fruit. And we said that in hope, yes, we are bearing fruit and we have seen fruit, but we would love to see more fruit. And my prayer and my desire and my plea and my, my, I guess my prophetic sense is that God wants to bring us into a greater season of fruitfulness. I am deeply grateful for all that God has done. We're not barren, but we're not as fruitful and flourishing as we could and should be. And God says to the barren woman, here's how you break your barrenness. Sing, barren woman. Burst into song. Shout for joy. It's exactly the opposite of what you would expect. It almost seems cruel. It should be weep, barren woman. Shout in anger. Sigh. Feel sorry for yourself. But God says, no, I want you to do the opposite of what your circumstances should be dictating right now. I want something coming from you to conceive something within you. I want there to be a sound coming from you that will begin to birth something within you. Because I know your circumstances right now look hopeless and look fruitless and look barren, but I'm about to turn that around, but you have a part to play in that. This act of obedience, of singing and shouting, will break a cycle or a pattern 
that nothing else would break. And God says this at the end of verse 1, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. He says, you've been barren, you've been widowed, you've been desolate, but you're going to have a load of children. And so that was the first point, I guess, is do whatever God tells you to do, even if it doesn't make sense to break barrenness. If something isn't working in your life, they say that the definition of insanity is keeping on doing the same thing, expecting different results. If something isn't working, go to God and say, God, why isn't this working? And do what he says. As Mary said to the people in John chapter 2 when the, 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 the wine ran out, she simply said, do what he says. Do what he says. It doesn't make sense. Do what he says. The second thing is this, that God says in verse 2, make room for more. Make room for more. Look at verses 2 and 3. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Look at those four words. Enlarge, stretch, lengthen, strengthen. God says there is growth coming and I want you to prepare for it. I want you to build a bigger dwelling place. I want you to enlarge your place and space. Why? Because there's more coming. Which seems crazy because she's barren. She's desolate. It makes no sense. God is saying, take your little one-bedroom flat and put it on the market and go and see Kirsty and Phil and find a six-bedroom house somewhere. And she's looking at her one-bedroom flat and she's sitting there on her own and she's saying, this is more than big enough for me. And God has said to her, no, I want you to prepare for the fruitfulness that is coming before it arrives. It doesn't make sense. But God says there's babies coming, barren woman. There's fruitfulness coming. There's growth on its way. From a human perspective, it doesn't make sense. But this isn't from a human perspective. This is from God's perspective. Her situation seems hopeless. It seems impossible. And yet with God, all things are possible. And God says, I need you to trust my word. And I need you to act on it now, even though there's very little evidence that you can see. In fact, when you look at your life, it looks like the opposite of what I'm telling you. But I need you to trust me. And the way that I will know you're trusting me is that you will enlarge the place of your tent. Because if you wait until you see it, if you wait until my word is fulfilled, it will be too late. God says, increase your capacity and then I will fill it. Create the space and I will send the babies. Act in faith as if it's already happened. I remember when we first found out that Bex was pregnant with Elijah after the, the shock of it and me banned 397 pregnancy test kits, uh, just to be sure, to be sure, to be sure, to be sure. Um, my next thought was, what do I need to do? What do we need to do? Like, what do we need to, how, we need to get ready for this. Like, what do we need to do? And so it was a joy spent on our Saturday afternoons looking at cots and prams and blankets and bottles and nappies and 
All of the stuff that you have to do, you have to get a room ready, buy clothes, reading books on how to be a parent, which no book will ever prepare you for that, let's be honest. And it was terrifying and it was expensive. And, and the whole thing was based on somebody we couldn't see. All we had was this little blurry black and white blobby photograph. And yet we are going to all this expense and buying all these things and making all these preparations for someone we couldn't even see it. But imagine if we'd have said, you know what? Let's just wait till he's born. And then we'll sort out the, you know, we'll buy a seat for the car. And one of those ISOFIX things. And we'll buy a cot and a pram. And we'll sort a room out when he's born. And that would have been negligent. We were making all of our preparations based on someone we couldn't see yet. And God says this. God says, I want you to get ready. I know you can't see it yet, but I want you to get ready for what I'm sending. I want you to begin to make preparations. And it's like he says, I want you to see it on the inside, and then you'll see it on the outside. I want you to see it on the inside of you, and once you begin to really believe it by making the preparations, that's when I will send it. You will see it in here. You will conceive it in here before you receive it out there. What does that mean for you and me today? What does that mean for us as individuals here in Hope, watching online? What does that mean for us as a church? I think God would say to us, it's time to stretch again. That's the phrase I've heard for a few weeks now. It's time to stretch again. It's time to not only believe for more, but it's time to prepare for more. It's time to start getting ready for what you can't see yet, for who isn't here yet. You know, we, even as we say, listen to things like that, we'll say, that's a stretch. That's a stretch. Yes, it is a stretch. But God says it's time for you to stretch again. This church, as some of you have heard me say it, and it was in the newsletter this week, this church was eight years old this past week. And you know, when this church started eight years ago, there was stretching done. There was stretching as people walked away from a place that they loved and had known their whole lives. They walked away from friends and family. There was stretching as people turned their backs on them. There was stretching as they moved around from place to place trying to find a location. There was a lot of stretching for those of us who have joined since then to enjoy their stretching. And you know what? There's been stretching ever since as well. I'm not going to say that was the only stretch. Some of you coming here has been a stretch. Some of you have come from very traditional backgrounds. And coming in here with the music and the hands in the air and all of that, what's that all about? And yet you've been drawn here, but it's been a stretch. And God's stretching us in our worship and God's stretching us as a church and God's stretching us in his presence. And I, I appreciate that. It's been a stretch. Every stage is a stretch. But I actually think for, for us as a church, God would say it's time to stretch again. Because here's what I do. I stretch and then I stop. I do something new. I, I stretch a bit and then I stop and I pull back and I rest and I go, well, I've stretched. I deserve a break. I'll just rest for a wee while. And here's what happens. And I tend to, Rest, 
and keep resting and keep resting and I get comfortable resting and I stop stretching. And I've seen that happen in my own life and I've seen it happen in others. You know, I've seen it happen quite honestly in people who have come here. They stretch and they go this far and no further. God, I did my stretching seven years ago. God, I did my stretching when I, I came here. I did my stretching when I took that step of faith 43 years ago. I did my stretching and I've stretched enough. And we stop and we get stuck and we get stagnant and we never really move on. I did martial arts when I was a teenager and when I first started doing martial arts, this was a stretch. I mean, this was a stretch. It feels like a stretch even now as I'm doing it. Got to be honest with you. But every day, for years, I would stretch. And every day, I would stretch. And every day, I would be sore from the day before. And I would keep stretching to the point where I could. That is me. I know, I should have a much higher-pitched voice even than I do. I would stretch and stretch and stretch and stretch. But here's what happened. I stopped doing martial arts. And here's me now. <laughs> Why? Because when you stop stretching, you stop being flexible. You get rigid. If I had kept stretching from my teenagers right through now, I might still be able to... I might, I wouldn't even... You know, but I might. But I stopped stretching... And I lost my flexibility. And you become more rigid. And that's what happens, all of us. We stretch for a bit, and then we stop. But we don't stay where we were when we stretched. We actually become less flexible. And that's a strange thing I've noticed in my own life, but I've noticed it in some other people who have been open to the Spirit of God over the years. And they've invited the Spirit to come in, and they've been open to the gifts of the Spirit, and then they've stopped stretching. But it's not like they stopped and they stayed where they were. They stopped and they retracted. And they backed off, and they actually became suspicious of those things again, or didn't want to go near those things again. Because they'd stopped stretching, and they'd settled for something much more comfortable. And I believe the Lord wants to say to us, some of us have stretched and we've stopped, but I want you to stretch again. I want you to go further than you've been before. I want you to go a bit more than where you're comfortable right now. It's time to stretch again. I think that means a number of things for us. I think in our own lives, in our own faith, God wants to say, I want you to stretch again. You've got very comfortable where you are. He's saying that to me in some areas, I can tell you. I'm, when I preach up here, I'm preaching to me first and foremost, okay? For me, you know what he's telling me, he's stretching me? I want you to start sharing the gospel and your ordinary conversations day by day again more. I want you to, I find that really hard to do. I know you think it's easy. I find that really hard to talk to random people about the gospel. That's the stretch for me. Where is it for you? Where does he want you to stretch again? For some of you, it's in your job. And it's not even so much to do with the gospel. It's just, you know what? Your potential's here, but you've settled for a job here. And you always said, you know what? I'll do this for a little while, and then I'll go here. But actually, you've become comfortable here. 
For some of you, it's in relationships, and I don't mean marriage by this, okay? But some of you in relationships have settled, and you mightn't even be dating anybody right now, but you've settled for this. This is what you've wanted, but you've settled for this. And God would say, I want you to stretch for this again. We were at a wedding yesterday. I was officiating for Johnny and Emma, and it was a lovely day. But I I saw a, a guy who I hadn't seen in a while. And uh, a guy called uh, uh, Lennis Lacey, back in the manifest days, he used to do this sound and we were chatting. And, I, and Becky walked in and I said, that's my wife there. And he looked at me and he looked at her and he went, you're punching. <laughs> you're punching above your weight. And I thought to myself, I said, I know, but I'd rather punch above my weight than below my weight. I'd rather stretch. Don't settle for here when God has put within you here. And this isn't some sort of Tony Robbins motivational thing, but it's it's about stewarding what God has given you. We talked about the talents two weeks ago. If God has given you five talents, stop living a two-talent life. If he has given you one talent, use it. But if he has given you five talents, use those as well. But if he's given you five talents, don't live a two-talent life because you will be held accountable for that. And God would say to some of us, I want you to stretch again. Try new things. You have put the ceiling here when actually the ceiling is up here. You have limited yourself by the things that you have spoken over yourself or by your environment or by the things people have spoken over you. And God says, that is not what I speak over you. That is not what I see over you. I want you to come to me and I want you to hear what I say over you because what people have put over you is here, but what I've put over you is here. And I want you to stretch beyond where you're settling right now. We, we love comfort. I love comfort. I have a comfortable house. I have a comfortable car. I have a comfortable life. I love comfort. But here's the thing about comfort. It lulls you into a sense of numbness. It lulls you into a sense of boredom. It lulls you into a sense of just feeling flat and thinking, you know what? I've just lost the passion and joy in my Christian life. And comfort is fine as long as you don't get so addicted to comfort that you're unwilling to leave comfort behind to go into the uncomfortable when God calls you to go into the uncomfortable when God calls you to stretch. There's nothing wrong with comfort. There's nothing wrong with nice things. But when God calls you to leave some of those nice things or that comfort behind and you're not willing to do it, that's when there's a problem. And God is calling some of us to step out of some of those places where we've become too comfortable. What about as a church? I think God's calling us as a church to stretch again. And I don't even want to define what that looks like. I think he'll make it clear if he sees we're willing to stretch. And it might, I think it means a bigger building. I think that's obvious. I mean, this morning, I know it doesn't look, but I think we need a bigger building. We've needed one for years. It might mean planting churches in other places beyond Craig Avon. It might even mean planting non-Anglican churches beyond Craig Avon. In five years from now, What if there were hope churches in three or four or five towns and cities throughout Northern Ireland? Preaching the word, 
worshiping Jesus, creating community, impacting the community. Why not? Do you know why not? Because if we don't stretch, that's why not. Where we are today and where we'll be in five years is all dependent on our willingness to stretch. Where you are as an individual and where you'll be in five years is dependent on your willingness to stretch. In five years, you can be just the same with a few more gray hairs and a few more wrinkles. Or you can actually be in a different place spiritually in in other areas of your life. But it depends on your willingness to stretch. And like the barren woman, God would say to us, I want you to start saying it in here before you say it out here. I want you to start believing that it's going to happen I want you to start taking me at my word that I have created you to be fruitful, that I want you to increase in number, that I want to give you a bigger space, and I want you to actually start believing. You know what I've started doing? I started now seeing our church as a bigger building with a huge car park outside and people arriving on a Sunday morning and not having to walk down the hill up there or not needing a word of knowledge to find the building. I've started to see us in a much bigger building where people come in and there's more than enough room for us. I've started to see us in a place and space in the heart of Craig Alvin where people know who we are and the lost and the broken and the hurting come and find restoration and grace and love and peace in the gospel. I've started to see us in a place and space where this community knows that Hope Church is the place that you can go to when you have hit rock bottom. I've started to see it. It's, it's, it's just a seed. It's just like that little picture of Elijah at 12 weeks old when he was in Becky's tummy. But I've seen it. And I'm going, God, how do we prepare for that? How do we prepare for it? I can't see it physically yet, but I know it's coming. And God would say to some of you, I want you to see it before you see it. I want to do something within you. I want you to believe that it's true before you see it with your eyes. God, let me see it. Conceive it within me. What God is calling us to do will always, will always need us to stretch beyond where we are. And the temptation will always be to stay where we are because it's comfortable, it's manageable, and it doesn't draw attention to ourselves. And nobody criticizes anyone who doesn't stretch. As soon as you try to stretch beyond where you are, that's where the critics suddenly come out and start telling you what you're doing wrong. And I believe the Lord would say to us personally, individually, and as a church, it's time to stretch again. And it's not just wider, it's also deeper. And I'm going to go through the second point really quickly. But look at what it says. Lengthen your cords. That's not your trousers. Lengthen your cords Strengthen your stakes, that's not meat. Okay, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes. In other words, the the pegs and the ropes that prop up the tent make them stronger. That's about structures. And what God is saying is this, I don't want to just enlarge you geographically or numerically, I want you to go deeper. It's deep and wide, deep and wide. That's what he's saying. I don't want you to be a mile wide and an inch deep. And actually, I was saying to some people this week, I believe that's what the Lord has been doing here over the last year or two. He's been taking us deeper. He's been taking us deeper. 
He's been putting foundations in and structures in. He's been bringing us deeper into things of the Spirit, deeper into worship, deeper into the preaching, deeper into small groups and community and all of those things. And he's taken us deeper and he's also saying, as well as going deeper, I want you to go wider. It's not either or. It's not one or the other. It's both and. It's deep and wide. It's that we would be inwardly strong and we would be outwardly focused. That we would be bigger people, not just numerically, but that we would be bigger people in here. More devoted, more consecrated, more passionate, more in love with Jesus, more obedient to his word, more willing to stretch. That it would be growth in every dimension because tall trees need deep roots. Tall buildings need deep foundations. And so the stretching isn't just out there, the stretching is in here. That we would become bigger people on the inside who are able to carry what God wants to deposit within us. I've seen so many people rise through the ranks and they just didn't have the capacity to sustain where God wanted to bring them. They didn't have the character to sustain what God wanted. Their gifting was up here, but their character was down here. And the whole thing has crumbled. I remember, oh, it's a few years ago now, that the, the water board were doing sewage works repairs and I think it was the Ravenhill Road in Belfast. And they dug up a wee hole just to, to repair one of the sewers. And they discovered that there was a 60 metre hole under the ground. 200 feet. Basically just a big gap under the ground. And they immediately had to shut down the road and repair it. Because they said this road will not sustain the weight of the traffic coming over it. And if we're going to grow wider, we need to make sure that there's foundations under there to sustain. Foundations of the word of God. Foundations of building our life in Christ. Foundations of the gospel. Foundations of community. Foundations of family. Foundations of obedience. Foundations of worship. The ordinary everyday things. Spending time with Jesus every day. Those are the things that as we get bigger, we need to go deeper. And then he says this. He says, go deep and wide. He says, it'll be different this time. Look at what it says, verse 2 and 4. Do not hold back. Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. Look at that. He says, do not hold back. Why? Because the temptation in all of us is to hold back. Especially when you've been disappointed, when things haven't worked out, when you've given it your best and it's fallen apart, when you've felt stupid in front of other people, when you've been publicly embarrassed, when you have seen it all and done it all and got the t-shirt and the baseball cap and you become a little bit cynical. You know, I've been, thinking, I've been around church for a long time. I've been around churches like this for a long time. I've heard it all and I have seen it all. And at times a little bit of cynicism creeps in. It's like, here we go again. The grand old Duke of York walked up the hill down again. And, you know. and I, do, I sometimes feel like that when I hear about moves of God and God moving. I sometimes think, I've heard all of this before. And the temptation is to become a little bit cynical and even critical and just, I'll hold back and I'll just wait and see. And God says, do not hold back. Do not allow the cynicism or criticism or disappointment or what hasn't worked in the past, to hold you back from what I'm asking you to do now. He's saying, go all in. Go all in. Look at what it says. You will not be put to shame. Look at that word, shame. Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. 
You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. Look at those words, shame, disgrace, humiliation. Those are words that keep you stuck and keep you from trying to do any stretching whatsoever because you don't want to experience shame, disgrace, humiliation, fear, or reproach. These people have been through a lot. They're traumatized, and they've stopped expecting much good to happen in their lives. You know, there's a story I read a number of years ago by Max Licato. I think I might have told it in Easter sermon once, but it's by Chippy the Parakeet. And it says, Chippy the Parakeet never saw it coming. One second he was peacefully perched in his cage, The next, he was sucked in, washed up, and blown over. The problems began when Chippy's owner decided to clean Chippy's cage with a vacuum cleaner. She removed the attachment from the end of the hose and stuck it in the cage. The phone rang. She turned around to pick it up. She had barely said hello when Chippy got sucked in. The bird owner gasped, put down the phone, turned off the vacuum, and opened the bag. And there was Chippy, still alive but stunned. Since the bird was covered with dirt and soot, she grabbed him and raced to the bathroom, turned on the tap and held Chippy under the running water. Then realizing that Chippy was soaked and shivering, she did what every compassionate bird owner would do. She reached for the hairdryer and blasted the pet with hot air. Poor Chippy never knew what hit him. A few days after the trauma, the reporter who had initially written about the event contacted Chippy's owner to see how the bird was recovering. Well, she replied, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. He just sits and stares. (laughs) Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. Just sits and stares. Chippy's lost his song. Some of us have lost our song. Because life has sucked us up. It has covered us with dirt. And it has blasted us with hot air. And it has spat us out. And we just sit and stare. And God would say, as he said to the barren woman, time to get your song back. I want you to get your song back. I want you to get your song back. You've lost your song. You've lost your spark. You've lost your life. You've lost your passion. I want you to get your song back. You know, for us, to enlarge the place of our tent means just getting, going to Argos or an Amazon and ordering a tent. In those days, it meant a lot of work. They had to weave and take goat's hair or lamb's wool and get a big loom and weave it and then cut it and then stitch it. And it took a lot of work. And you know, enlargement takes work. Increase takes work. Stretching takes work. Ask the guys who built the shed a couple of summers ago. That place that we enjoy so much now with our kids and our youth and for so many things, that wasn't there a few years ago. And the guys spent a summer working on it. 95% of the work was done by men from this church. And we're so grateful for the enlargement and the place and the space, but it took a lot of sweat and a lot of work and a lot of exhaustion. And I think we need to recognize, yes, it'll be exciting as God stretches us and as he enlarges us and in our own lives and in the church, but it also takes work. It takes us going all in. You see, they built it and the kids have filled it today. And that's how God works. He says, if you build it, I'll fill it. If you create the capacity, I'll fill it. That's how he always works. Remember the woman with the jars of oil? Get as many jars as you can, Elisha told her. And the oil only ran out when the jars ran out. 
And God says, if you will create the capacity, the shortage is never on my end. It's never on my inability to give. It's on your ability to receive. It's almost like the old movie Field of Dreams with Kevin Costner. If you build it, they will come. But if you don't build it, they won't. God would say the stretching is up to you and the filling is up to him. This barren woman could do nothing about her barrenness, but she could do something about her tent. She couldn't fix her barrenness, but she could enlarge her tent. There was a part that she had to do, and when she did what only she could do, God did what only he would do. And there's always that combination. It's very rarely ever fully God or fully you. It's you and God working in partnership. And if you will do what he asks you to do, he will do what you cannot do. And he would say, do not hold back. Do not hold back. Do not hold back. Are you prepared to stretch? You know, a few years ago, a family who I'm close to had a a terrible bereavement. Um, One of the young members of their family died in in awful circumstances. And of course, I I wanted to be at the funeral. It was in Lurgan. And the funeral was at two o'clock and I knew a lot of people would be there. And so I I, I got short and was getting ready at about 12, half 12. And um, I wanted to be over about an hour early. And I I got ready and I was going to the wardrobe to put on my suit which I hadn't worn in a long time and I went to put on my suit and I would love to tell you the suit had shrunk. <laughs> I mean that would be the that would that's the part that would make me look better if I said my suit had shrunk. But I literally couldn't get it on me. It was way too tight. Like there's sometimes when things are tight and you can get away with it. This was like there was no getting away with this. And I only have one suit because I don't wear a suit a lot in case you hadn't noticed them. You know, and, and, and you know what? I missed that funeral. I had to miss it because I, I, I was too embarrassed to go in casual clothes. And I missed being there for people I cared about. Why? Because I hadn't prepared in advance for the enlargement that God and a lot of burgers had sent me. And you know what? I I didn't get a second chance. That's the thing. It's not like I could go back the next day. And I think God would say, look at what you've got. Does it still fit you? Or do you need to stretch? Do you need to create a bigger place and space for me? Do Do you need to enlarge your capacity? Because there's something I want to do among you. There's something I want to do in you. But right now, the place and space you're in is too constricted. But if you will create the capacity, if you will stretch, I will fill the place that you stretch. The stretching is your responsibility. The filling, the filling's mine. Let's pray together. Father,
Only your Holy Spirit can show us where this applies to us, individually and as a church. And God, I pray that you would do that in these days, God, that we wouldn't just go home today and go, that was another message and the worship was good and it was a nice day. But God, Lord, that we would actually ask that question, God, where are you asking me to stretch? Where have I become too settled and too comfortable? Where are you asking me to stretch again? Where have I aimed too low and settled for less than your best? Where do I need to increase the capacity for you to fill? Holy Spirit, would you help us to, to know that? Only you can do that.